Well, it's our joy to gather together to worship the Lord, and now it's our joy to look together into His Word. If you have a Bible with you today, please turn to the book of Acts. We'll be continuing our series in the book of Acts. We'll be finishing Acts 12 today. So the text for this morning will be Acts 12, verses 20 through 25, and Angela Altamari is coming to read the scripture for us this morning. Acts 12, 20 through 25. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your great love for us, that you have spoken to us through your word, that you've spoken to us by your son. And so would you help us now to be attentive to your word, what you have to say. Would you help me to say things that would be helpful and true? Um, Would you help all of us to respond to your word in the way that you would have us, with repentance where it's needed, always with faith, and that you would, by your spirit, even in these moments, Um, Do your good work of changing us into the people that you want us to be for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Chris, uh, a couple times last week, was like, man, I hope I'm not stealing someone else's sermon by telling these stories about the other James, um, by telling some other stories that are coming up later on. And as I was preparing for this week, basically his whole sermon was stealing my sermon for this week. Because you may remember last week, it was the gospel endures, right? Against all opposition. And then you have Herod, who doesn't give God the glory and dies, but the word of God increased and multiplied. So thanks for preaching that last week. That was great. So what we're actually going to focus on this week is still from the text for this week but about how we must give glory to God alone. The big idea is we must give God the glory he alone deserves. We must give God the glory he alone deserves. So we're going to take a quick poll. How many of you have seen The Emperor's New Groove? Okay, I see those hands. There you go. See those hands? See those hands? Okay. All right, if you haven't, I actually highly recommend it. Uh, You won't be shocked that it's a Disney movie um, because that's about all that I can get illustrations from. Because, anyway. All right, so it's like 20 years old now, which itself is, like, strange um, because I was already graduated from college when I saw it for the first time. (laughs) But it is basically the Nebuchadnezzar story 
except about a guy named Cusco. And instead of having feathers and long talons and basically being turned into a bird, he's turned into a llama. He's supposed to be dead, right? So, but he's not dead. He's accidentally turned into a llama. And then he spends most of the movie actually as a llama trying to turn back into a human. And now in this case, it wasn't God judging him. It was the emperor's advisor who really wanted to be the emperor and the best way to be the emperor is to get rid of the emperor. But he was an emperor who believed that he was the man. They even have God kind of references in the opening song, the song all about him. He's the Alpha and Omega, the A to Z. It's like, hmm, what's that about? And it's making a point that this guy thinks he is God, right? Even when Yzma and Kronk are trying to kill him and he doesn't realize it yet, right? And Pacha's like, no, they're not your friends. He's like, what do you mean? Their whole world revolves around me. He thought the whole world revolved around him. And he'd had enough people around him telling him so that he began to believe the press. And he thought he was everything. And the whole thing that happens in this story is that he goes, and I'm giving it away, but it's still, there's a lot of good jokes in it, okay? So the storyline's not really the, the thing. Except that it is. Because he goes down lower and lower and lower. And finally, he runs out of all hope. He's trying to manipulate. He's trying everything he can just to get his power back and be back the way his life was before when everything was perfect and everyone worshipped him. When he didn't realize that everyone actually despised him. And then at his lowest point, he's with a pack of llamas. And even they walk away from him. And he finally reaches down and starts eating grass. And going like, this is awful. And it's at that point that the story turns. Much like Nebuchadnezzar, right? Where he's going, look at all of these palaces and these gardens that I've built by the might of my own glory. And God's like, yeah, we are not doing that. But then, after, in his case, seven years, his sanity returned and he learned to give glory to the God of heaven in this case to Daniel's God and Cusco is like basically a modern day version of Nebuchadnezzar and that's a wonderful story and there Disney does fall short right it's the world begins and ends with me and that changes to the world begins and ends with us but we still can end up just protecting our own tribe, caring about our own people against other people. The world begins and ends with God. He created us. He tells us who we are. He tells us what we will be. He's the one who declares us righteous on the basis of the work of his son alone. Everything is from him and through him and to him. To him be the glory forever. We must give God the glory he alone deserves. And part of what we learn from this text is that God will judge those who try to steal the glory for themselves. And if we know our Bibles, we know that God is a jealous God, that he is jealous for his own 
glory. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. In Isaiah 48, verse 11, he says, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it, and for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, Cusco, or here, Herod, God will not give his glory to anyone else, especially someone who's trying to steal it for themselves. And Herod meets his end, right? So let's walk through the story real quick, and then we'll consider what that means for us and what our part is. So Herod, we've been introduced to him already earlier in the chapter. Chris talked about him last week, right? He kills James, the brother of John, with the sword, puts Peter in prison, planning to do the same thing, but he has to wait until the Passover's over because that's like bad to kill people during Passover. So he waits to the other side. But then on the night before he's going to be brought out to be killed, an angel from the Lord brings Peter out of the prison. And Herod is angry about this, right? He has the people who were supposed to look after him. He has them killed And then the text tells us in verse 19, he goes down to Caesarea and stays there. And that's where our text for today happens. And so Herod was angry, we're told, with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So those are two seacoast cities, a little north of Israel. And Herod at this point, he's, uh, well, you'll get kind of like who he is uh, just by this reference, if you know anything about Rome and Roman history. He was friends with a guy named Caligula. Have you heard of Caligula? Yes, Jeremiah has. That's bad news. And he was a bad, bad man. And he's the one, actually, who's like, oh yeah, this is my friend, I'll appoint him. Herod had been a tetrarch. And just to clarify, this isn't the Herod from when Jesus was born, and it's also not the Herod from when Jesus died. This is a new Herod. There's lots of them. Um, This is Agrippa I. And he had spent some time in Rome, was friends with Caligula, and then he's a tetrarch over like a quarter of an area, and then now he's been made king uh, just a few years before these events of the whole region. But Tyre and Sidon were kind of independent. Like we think about the Roman Empire, and it was just this big thing, and it was, but there were certain cities that had their own rights and had their own rulers. Now they had to watch out how they related to Rome, and even here they had to watch out how they related to the guy who'd been set up over the territory around them, and we're told why in the text. Because their country depended on the king's country for food. So they're independent, but not quite right? You're not really independent if you can't feed yourself without the food from somewhere else. And so when Herod's mad at them, they're like, we've got to do something about this. So they come to him. They're asking for peace. They go through a trusted advisor who handles lots of important and even personal things for Herod. And they convince him, like, we need some peace. Let's do this. And they win him over. And then it's like, well, let's celebrate this. And so on the appointed day, we're told, Herod comes and gives an oration. He put on his royal robes. We also have this story um, from Josephus 
uh, first century Jewish historian, and he tells this story too, and he talks about the royal robes. He says they were shining like silver. So you can imagine like a stadium full of people, and here's Herod on his throne with his royal robes shining with the sun glimmering off the robes as they shimmer in the sun. I was like, wow, this is impressive. And he gives an oration. We don't know what he says. It must have been good. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And he's like, yes, yes. He's a little bit like Loki in Germany in the first Avengers where he tells them all to kneel. And they're not kneeling because they love him, right? But he's just like, and then Captain America comes and spoils Uh, the party for him in that moment. But that's what Herod's like. He's like, yes, give me more, give me more. And then as Angela read for us a few minutes ago, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. An angel of the Lord struck Peter on the side and said, get up. Now he strikes Herod down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last And the contrast is the word of God increased and multiplied. The one who had tried to stamp out the gospel can't. And it keeps going and it keeps growing. And we even see that in verse 25 as Luke's just kind of continuing the narrative. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had completed their service. This is reaching back to chapter 11 where the church in Antioch Uh, knew that there was going to be a need in Jerusalem, and they said, well, let's get what we can, and we'll send it by these guys that we trust, and that's Barnabas and Saul, and here they show up again. They're finishing the job. They completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now, probably none of us will ever be a king of a Roman province for multiple reasons. And none of us will probably ever be in the position that Herod, that Herod was in on that day where people are saying, the voice of a God and not a man. And we're like, yeah, you know what? I think I like that. That sounds good. Like, we'll probably never be there. And so it's easy for us to be like, yeah, God stops his enemies. Great, he didn't give God the glory. Man, those people who don't give God the glory, what, what is up with them? I would never try to be like that. Of course you wouldn't. And neither would I, except we do all the time. And so as we get into our part today, what, what does this mean for us? So that's the story. That's what happened. What difference should this make in our lives? As we consider our part first, we want to say there should be no fame seeking. No fame seeking. And the point here is that there is a glory stealer in all of us. We see it on basketball courts, right? When people play hero ball, right? We hate that. You're doing everything by yourself and you're not part of a team. It's like, because you guys aren't any good. I'm going to take care of this, right? Because you're the man. It's the mentality that inspires Tony Stark to name the glasses Edith, right? Even dead, I'm the hero. Really, dude? Are you going there? And we go, well, I'm not like Tony Stark, praise the Lord. And I'm not like Herod, and I'm not like Cusco. 
sure, we're probably not that obvious. And maybe even when you see fame seeking, you're like, I don't even have a shot at fame. What are you even talking about? Well, fame or glory is about being known and about being known for certain things. And we do want to be known for certain things in certain ways. And those of you who are in the spiritual formation class are like, this is going to sound a lot like the call the other night from the book that we read. And that's true. Um, there's, there's a really good book by Tim Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness where he's drawing uh, from a text we'll look at a little bit later. But it's about being confident not in ourselves but in God not seeking fame for ourselves, not needing to be known, even in our little circles that we have. But we can be this way. Don't we want to be good? And don't we want to be known for being good? You know the age-old question, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one to hear it, like, did it make a sound? That's kind of how it is whenever I clean up the kitchen and Steph's not around. Right? Right? It's like, how can I make sure that she knows it was me? Because the kids are old enough for, you know, like years ago, if the kitchen was clean, I did it, right? But the kids are old enough, they can do it. Sometimes I'll even try to take credit for like, I directed them to do it. Why do I want to do that? I want to get credit with her. I want her to see that and go, ah, I like that guy. And that's not all bad in marriage, you know, to like each other. But that's how we can get, right? And so maybe it's not cleaning up the kitchen for you. Maybe it's something else where it's like, okay, I served this person this way. It's got to go on Insta. But, but does it? And it's not bad necessarily, but it can be, right? It's a, it's a hard question. So this isn't even the moment for you to think, well, I don't post things on social media, but <laughs> boy, you get them, Rob. Yeah, Right? Can we just serve, not for our own acclaim, not for our own name, not to be known? But it's what we want. We want to be noticed. Are we grasping for glory that rightly belongs to God? And we can get so upside down in this because we know that humility is good and pride is bad. Like we hear about it a lot in the Bible. So we even get good at playing like humble games, right? Like, oh no, I didn't really, I mean, it was just all the glory to God. Oh boy, Rob is, boy, he's just such a humble guy, right? It's like when we're looking for that outcome, we're being the opposite of humble in that moment. We get so good at playing the game that we steal glory trying to get people to notice how humble we are. How upside down is that? Whatever we have is from him. All right, Paul tells the Corinthians this. Whatever gifts you have, didn't you receive them from someone? Even you say, well, I'm naturally good at this. Well, where did, where did that come from? It came from God, who's the giver of all gifts. Whatever we have is from him, and it's for him, too. The gifts that he gave us, the skills, the talents, the ideas, the energy. 
is to be used for him and for his glory, not to position ourselves, not to build our resume, but given to serve other people for his sake. And even serving in the church, we can get our hearts all in a knot. We have several people who are just getting involved in serving, whether in music ministry, children's ministry, and there will be more opportunities coming in 2022. And we want people to serve in the church, and we want to see the way people serve line up with the gifts that God has given them. And we want to give honor where honor is due, right? So it's not like, okay, we're never going to talk about anything, and we're all going to be humbled by just keeping our mouths shut. Like, that's the way to do it. If I just never do anything and never say anything, then... It's like, well, there's still a whole lot of like, if I, 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 I. It's like, what is God calling me to do? What does he want? Where is a need that maybe God has given me to serve? Not for the next step, not for the big thing, not to be known, right? It it can even be in preaching where it's like, well, what's the goal? Is it at the end to be like, man, that was a good sermon. You are a good preacher, right? It's like, ah, I mean, sure, that's nice, and I don't mind that, but if that's what I'm seeking, then I've missed the point even of what I'm trying to accomplish in this moment, right? I'm actually trying to accomplish something other than what God wants accomplished because these moments, along with all our moments, are holy moments to give God the glory that he alone deserves. So even as you serve here in the church, this isn't to get you to stop, it's to get you to consider. Why are we serving? Is it so we can be seen to be serving? And are we unsatisfied with the way that we're serving today because we wish we could serve in another way that is a little more public, a little more known, might get a little more praise And we can have people say to us the things that we see them saying to other people. Like, wow, you did such a good job on that. Well, I could do that as well. Is that in us? Does that resonate with us? Is it because we just have to be up front so everyone can know how good or important we are? Sure, Herod, man, he's really bad. But there is a glory thief in us all of us, even if we won't reach the level of fame that, and infamy that he did, or the level of fame that any number of people reach in our culture today, we must give God the glory he alone deserves. It's not for us, and it's not for anyone else either. So first was no fame-seeking. Second, no false gods. No fame-seeking. Don't make yourself your God but no false gods. So Herod was like, yeah, I'm taking the glory for myself. But the crowd, they were committing idolatry too, right? They're saying the voice of a God and not a man. Now there is some question about whether these people meant what they said, kind of like the people who sang about Cusco. It's a question about whether they meant what they said or whether they were just saying that because they knew it's what Herod would want to hear. But isn't it easy for us to want to look to people rather than God for comfort, for security, and to praise? We cannot be like the crowd. 
giving praise to a bad man because of what he can do for us. That's what they were doing. They're saying, here's a bad man, like just plain. You can read any history about this Herod. He's a bad man, but in this case, like, but he's given us what we want. He's providing for us what we think we need. And so whether we believe it fully or not, we're willing to say things to support him and hold him up and even praise him. They're giving praise to a bad man because of what he can do for them. And when we do something like that, we're putting someone else in God's place. And the biblical word for that is idolatry. It's that first commandment of the ten. You shall have no other gods before me. And in those moments, we're running to someone or something else for security and hope. But where is our hope? As we recited together last week, what is our hope in life and death? Is it in policies going the way we think that they should? Is it in a president or in a political party? Now, we can advocate for policies and candidates who will stand for those policies, but we can never place our hope there. We shouldn't get too high when we win or too low when we lose. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and in death to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So whether we're James and we're killed with the sword, whether we're Peter and we're released from prison by an angel, we belong to God. We must give God the glory he alone deserves. It's not for us and it's not for anyone else. We can't afford to trust anyone else or put anyone else in the place of God. It's not for us. It's not for anyone else. And so we have nothing to fear. No fame seeking, no false gods, no fear. And this gets us back kind of into politics, which is exactly the realm where this was. Am I afraid that tyrants will win? Am I afraid that a bad government will do bad things and the word of God will be stopped, will be shut down? This text is perfect for when we feel that. When we feel like, yeah, but you don't understand how bad it is, Rob. It's like, oh, okay. It's not me. It's the Lord saying, I can stop things that need to be stopped. And I don't need the right governor, or right king, or president, or whatever in place to do that. I'm in charge, and he'll live as long as I want him to, and not a moment longer. God's in charge like that. And so here they were concerned, right? We need our food. We need him to be happy with us. We need to be on his good side. We need this to work. But we have nothing to fear from anyone if we are in Christ. If he really is our hope in life and death, body and soul, then we have nothing and no one to fear. We have nothing to fear from anyone, even a tyrant like Herod. And so we don't have to scramble for our own solution. Sometimes in the face of a tyrant, we scramble for our own tyrant who's going to be on our team. 
I mean, you've got to face might with might, fire with fire, power with power. Except that's not Jesus' way. That may be our own way, but that's not Jesus' way. And in these days, and we'll get to this in a few minutes, we're called to follow him. Though a king may claim to be a god, God is still the king. He sits on his throne even now. And Herod, in this story, cannot harm another Christian or live another moment when God says that his time is up. And so this should give great comfort to us. Because there are things that are fearful that have happened, are happening in these days. And we don't have to fear anything that is frightening because even if the worst comes, we belong to Christ and we will be with him forever. Isaiah 51, 12 and 13, the Lord is speaking. He says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you were afraid of man who dies? Of the son of man who's made like grass and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? Or here's Jesus speaking in Luke 12, 4 to 7. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. God gave his own son for us. We who deserve his wrath, we who have been glory stealers, ones who have trusted in others and sought gods everywhere except in the God who made us. This God was merciful to us. At just the right time, he sent his son to die, not for the good people who needed a little boost, but for sinners, those who would steal his glory, those who would give his glory to someone else. That's who he came for, for you, for me. And someone shared that good news that Jesus came and glorified God his Father with every moment of his days. God himself on the earth, living the perfect life that we were supposed to live and haven't. Dying a bloody death on the cross that we deserved to die but will never face. Because he didn't only live and die. On the third day, he rose from the grave, showing his power over sin and death forever. So that now everyone who turns from their sins and trusts in him will have life with him both now and forever. That good news has come all the way to us. And one day, by God's grace, we believed it and we belong to him. And now our lives can be lived for an entirely different purpose than they were before, where before it was all about me. All about what I wanted, what I thought, what I felt, what I needed. 
But we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that Jesus died so that those who live, that those who live through him might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We can live without fear because God has rescued us through Jesus and he is coming again to make every wrong right, to bring full justice and righteousness and peace, to judge his enemies and to rescue his people. And we will be with God and all his people in the new heavens and the new earth with no more effects of the curse, no more sin, no more wrong. That is what is coming for us. And there's nothing any politician or president or political party or anything else can do to stop it. Not a thing. We hear references a lot today to being on the right side of history. And that's how we should make our choices. How will history judge us? And sure, we may be judged by a generation that comes after us. But that shouldn't be why we believe what we believe and why we do what we do. We believe what we believe and we do what we do because the Bible says what it says. Not because of what the culture tells us, not because of what someone else thinks, but because of what God has revealed. Because one day, like Herod, every human being will stand before God. Every one of us. History may make its judgment, but history's judgment won't matter when we stand before God. Others now may make their judgments about us and what we believe and what we practice because of what God has revealed. But it's only God's declaration about us that matters. And here's the text that Tim Keller used in that book from 1 Corinthians 4. Says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. He says, even if I think I have a clear conscience, that that isn't the right judgment either, necessarily. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. For those who serve, and you serve quietly, you serve in ways that very few people who are gathered here today know about, and you don't care about that at all. You're just glad for the opportunity to serve. The Lord sees. And there will be a day when those deeds are disclosed. When you receive your commendation, not from others, not from me, my commendation doesn't matter we'll receive our commendation from the Lord. And so we don't have to worry about what others think. Not in a, I'm above that kind of way, because it also doesn't matter what we think about ourselves. It matters what God thinks about what we're doing. And the good news of the gospel is that the ultimate verdict has already been delivered. And we who were guilty 
have been declared righteous. And we will, by his grace, stand before him one day before his throne and be welcomed into his presence based on the work of his son. And so now as we live, we strive, like the Apostle Paul will say later in Acts, to have a good conscience before God and men. That we live for him, not for us, and not even for others, even though living for him will lead to serving others. We don't need to fear anyone, their opinions or what they might do to us, whether there are other kids at school who might talk bad about us or a ruler who could say, off with our heads. Instead, we fear the Lord and follow Jesus. So no fame-seeking, no false gods, no fear. Instead, what do we do? We follow Jesus. Jesus, who laid down his glory, who humbled himself all the way to the death of the cross, and now is highly exalted. And one day, we'll have everyone say his name, and we'll bow before him. But in his life on earth, he laid down his glory. He humbled himself. He was among us as one who served. And this is still the Christian way. Glory is coming, but it's on the other side. This is the way of true humility, the way of the cross. The crown is coming, and we will reign with him, which is mind-blowing and an amazing gift. What grace we have been given. What standing we already have in the heavenly places. But here we don't feel that standing very much yet. right? We don't get the shiny robes. We don't get the stadiums saying our name. And by his grace, that's not even what we would want anymore. We want people to know his name. The crown is coming. We will reign with him, but not today. Today, we suffer with him. Today, we humble ourselves, and one day, we will be exalted. It sounds crazy, right? But there's Bible for that. If we humble ourselves, it's the Lord who will lift us up. We will receive commendation from the Lord. We will. We will. We'll even receive crowns from the Lord. Now, we'll recognize the source of them all, right? We say, here you go. Right back to you. You're the one who enabled all of that. You're the one who gave me the gifts. You're the one who saved me by your grace and gave me gifts from the Spirit to serve. You're the one who has done it all, and it's all for you. We'll get to do that one day. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will be with him in his glory. All that's his, Paul tells us, is ours. And so as we follow him in these days, we have nothing to fear and we can leave the vengeance for wrongs to him. Fearing God rather than man, even a tyrant, doesn't mean that we must wish for the tyrant's downfall or for judgment to come for him. Now, certainly we can pray for, ju- for justice. But I want you to think about another name we see in this story. Herod did not give God the glory, and he faced immediately God's judgment. 
But there's another persecutor of the church in this passage. Another man who said, I'm going to stop those people. Another man who pursued Christians all the way to the death. One persecutor died under God's judgment. Another is mercifully saved and sent to take the gospel to the nations. In verse 25, we saw reference back to chapter 11 about that gift that was being taken by Barnabas and Saul. You remember him? First time we saw him was at Stephen's martyrdom. And then we saw him again making havoc of the church. And the church scattered because of the persecution after Stephen's death that was led by this man Saul. It would have been appropriate at any point in Saul's life for God to say, time is up. Just like he did with Herod. But graciously, mercifully, powerfully, he didn't. Instead, he revealed himself in his glory to Saul while Saul was on his way to try to destroy Jesus' people. And later on in life, Saul, who became Paul, he writes in 1 Timothy 1, says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever Amen. That's his story near the end of his life. This is who I was, but God was merciful to me that he might display his mercy, display his saving power, his perfect patience so that others would hear this good news and would believe. And so even as you may have concerns about particular people, whether kind of close to you personally, whether far away from you, but they seem to have a lot of power over your life right now, we can pray for righteous things to happen. We can pray for justice and we can pray for their souls. That their story wouldn't have to be Herod's story, but could be Saul's. Do we believe that that can happen? This is what we can pray for, that once again, as he did with Saul, as he did with you and me, that God will make his enemies into his friends, his children, his people, his servants, even his representatives here on earth, not with a story of our greatness and goodness, but of his greatness, of his goodness, of his saving power, of his glory. We must give God the glory he alone deserves. No fame-seeking, no false gods, no fear. Follow Jesus. It's his word that increased and multiplied.
It's his word, his kingdom that endures. Herod did his worst, but the word of God cannot be stopped. And that is still true today. So let's not seek our own glory. Let's not give glory to anyone or anything else. Let's not be afraid of those who seem powerful or influential. Let us follow Jesus on the way of suffering, on the way of sacrificial service, on the way to glory. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you that you took us and you transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of your well-loved son and that you did it through his sacrifice for us. Would you give us grace this week to not focus on ourselves, to not look to others for what only you can give us, to not be afraid of what anyone might be able to say about us or do to us, but to follow Jesus who holds us both now and forever, who we know loves us because he gave his own life for us. And would you help us in that freedom to be able to serve? Oh, Spirit, would you work this out in us? For the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.